Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to the Gravity Leadership Podcast, where we explore how to center our lives and our leadership in the love of God revealed in Jesus Christ. In the midst of the disruptive cultural shockwaves of the 21st century. Join us as we learn to take the love of God seriously as the force that holds all of us and everything together. Hey there, Matt Tubby here, and you're listening to the Gravity Leadership Podcast, joined as usual by my compadres, good friends, Christy Penley. Hey, hey. And Ben Sternk. Yep, that's how Siri pronounces my name. And yep. the guy at the Apple store today, I took my phone in for a minor repair, and uh, he referred to me as Benjamin Sternk. I didn't correct him, I just said, that's me. So anyway, <laughs> it's the second time in one day that I've been called Sternk. Do you know, Ben, the derivation of your last name? Was it, because um, a lot of people, a lot of us uh, white folk, came over mm-hmm. from, you know, Northern, Western Europe, and uh, mm-hmm. even Eastern Europe. Uh, don't get me started on Southern Europe. And our last <laughs> name was changed, yeah. right? Right? So we've got a oh, co-pastor right. Right. whose last name is Ruark, but he's pretty sure that when his ancestors came over, their last name was O'Rourke. Right. Oh. And, they, and they changed it, right? So it wasn't so obviously Irish. Right. Interesting. Right? Yeah. So I'm, I'm, I guess I'm wondering, Ben, was your name O'Sternke? <laughs> My name was just O'Rourke. Same, same last name. And they just same were like, last name. Let's get, let's get as far away from that as we can. <laughs> no, I, I don't know. I think it's probably German. There are some Germans named Sternke uh, that I've found online. Um, that, but that's all I know about it, um, is that it's probably German in origin. So, yeah. Sternke. Now, so. Yeah, that's probably how it was. Christy, your maiden name was Hergie. 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 Oh, Hergie. yeah. And yeah. Uh, was that was that the name that uh, people came with, or did they change that too? You know, I don't know. I think, I mean, it's German, but my grandmother's maiden name was O'Brien. She came from Ireland. Oh. So they didn't try to hide that. They kept the O there. Yeah. So yeah. when I was a radio host, do you guys know this? Uh-uh. I did a radio show. I was an intern. And uh, for two summers, and my my radio name was Christy O'Brien. Oh, that's a great oh. radio name. Yeah, you know, Christy they say it just for security purposes. Yeah. Change your last name. But then I didn't do that for this. <laughs> People could find me if they wanted to, I guess. Security out the window. <laughs> I wonder why, yeah. yeah, I wonder why podcasting didn't adopt that same, like, anonymity. Who knows? Right, I, don't I don't know. know. That's interesting. Well, um, speaking of security purposes and podcasting, I listened to this mm-hmm. fascinating podcast on, do you guys know the McAfee virus software? Oh, yeah. That basically was come with a, a, like most desktops between 1990 and 2010. Okay. I listened to this podcast episode on that guy, McAfee. Uh, it's like Steve McAfee or Jim McAfee. I don't know. 
anyway, he sold his he sold this virus software and then basically uh, went to Central and South America and was trying to invent drugs for the next two decades and like ran for president and murdered somebody. It was crazy, this story. (laughs) Wow. Um, Yeah. Well, we are going to talk today. Okay. What what are you going to say, Ben? I'm just just trying to think about what it would mean to invent drugs, like new, like like psychedelic substances or or something. Okay. He hired this chemist to basically fool around with different chemical compounds. Now the, now the auspices were, we were trying to invent uh, some kind of like human, uh, some sort of drug that would help humanity be healthier or live longer. But um, there's like two documentaries on this guy because of how just, just nutso he was. And he was like an early YouTuber that was like, had a super big tan and would like put out these viral videos about, you know, uh, conspiracy theories and such. Anyway, that has really nothing to do with what we're talking about today. Although, in a tangential way, it does, because we are chatting today about five signs of toxic leadership culture. And it does sound like Mr. McAfee may may have dabbled. If he was in charge of anybody, that might have created a uh, toxic leadership culture. Yeah. Also, also, he had a last name just like all of us, so it's thematic. So, he, he, Thank you, Ben. Thanks for tying that together. This is Connecting it all. Compelling... Anyway, yeah. I thought we could uh, talk through this list, five signs of a toxic leadership culture. You know, we've spoken a lot, the three of us, uh, mm-hmm. offline, about our experiences with leadership cultures that did not lead to human flourishing. And so, um, and we've done, you know, we've had interviews with people that have experienced church hurt, church, church abuse, but maybe this is uh, one list of five. This isn't the top five. This isn't the, you know, official five. This is just mm-hmm. five artifacts of leadership cultures that we've noticed that lead to, that contribute to toxicity, you know, to a lack of human flourishing. Um, So maybe we should, uh, I know, I know all of us have our own intersections here with, with problematic uh, leadership cultures. Maybe we need a safe word or something, you know? Like I plead the fifth, if you ask me a question. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, like yeah. yeah. Uh, maybe you just say like back off or something and then we'll know <laughs> you need a little space. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, here's the five, five uh, signs and then we'll, I'll, I'll name them and then we can maybe go one by one. Yeah. How's that sound? Sounds good. Let's yeah. do it. All right. All right. Five signs. Number one, reality distortion. Number two, loyalty culture. Number three, unable to have a Kairos. Number four, the power flows up and in instead of flowing down and out. And number five, mishandling conflict. Uh, all right. Maybe before we go one by one, uh, check in. How, how's everybody doing? <laughs> you guys doing okay? Safe word. Safe word. I'm out. I'm out. I, I plead the fifth. I plead the fifth. Tag in, tag I mean, in somebody else. No. Yeah. No. I mean, my guess is even our listeners, right? Even hearing that mm, list can be a trigger. It's yeah. not just us. It's also yeah. people listening yeah. because many, many people have been in situations where there has been toxic leadership yeah. and it can scar people. There needs to be like a real process of working through that. Yeah. Um, and so I guess listeners, maybe you need to take a breath like I need to take <laughs> right. a breath. Yeah. <laughs> Well, 
And uh, thankfully, listeners can just pause, can just pause the yeah, thing. We, yeah. we don't have that look. I guess we could if we wanted to uh, yep. pause. But, pause. They can delete this, yeah. never come back to it. <laughs> never you know? listen to this again. Sorry to see you yeah. go. <clears throat> I, I think the other thing, just uh, by way of preamble, in addition to what you said, Christy, um, one of the things that was so helpful for me when I was sort of in the middle of one of these kinds of toxic cultures was hearing about the, the patterns. So like reading about other toxic cultures or re- reading about the patterns in other, like, you know, or hearing them on podcasts, that kind of thing. So like the other thing that occurs to me is that some of you might be in this kind of culture even right now. And so my hope would be that listening to this, you might be able to see some patterns and maybe, you know, have the courage to make a move to get out uh, because it, it can be, we'll talk about this in the first, in the first aspect of toxic leadership cultures, but it can be scary uh, to, to think about leaving. It can be scary to think about um, breaking with uh, this kind of toxic leadership culture. So yeah. anyway, that's another thing that occurs to me that might be uh, yeah. important for people to hear. True. All right. Well, let's, let's start with the first one that kind of relates to that, what you just said, Ben, one of the reasons why mm-hmm. it can be hard to leave or break with um, a toxic culture that has leadership that demonstrates toxic signs is because uh, there is um, some kind of reality distortion happening, right? Reality distortion, what we mean by this is where there's an official message from the top that doesn't comport with your perception of what's happening, right? So um, maybe a, a little story here. At one point in my life, I worked for an organization that decided it was losing money and it needed to fire everybody. And um, instead of saying, hey, we're going to fire everybody because we're losing money, the official story from the organization was, we are multiplying. <laughs> right. <laughs> we, yeah. we, are, we are replicating who we are and yeah. we're um, decentralizing, going from a central kind of uh, – organizational structure to a decentralized organization structure and we're, we're ready to multiply. But what, what was actually right. happening was the, the people who were in reality getting fired were being given the organization's debt and responsibilities as, quote, a gift. Right. Like a franchise <laughs> opportunity. Yeah. Right. You know, Here's yeah. a franchise opportunity. You're $30,000 in the hole and you have 18 months worth of things to do before you can even begin to make back the money, right? Mm -hmm. And so in that place, I was like, this doesn't feel like an opportunity. Mm -hmm. This doesn't feel like a good thing. This actually feels pretty rotten, but you're telling me how good it should feel. Um, And that's that was an example of reality distortion for me. Ben, do you believe it? Do you believe that happened to me? Uh, no, that sounds like, uh, that sounds like nonsense. <laughs> that never happens, which is the other thing that happens in, uh, gaslighting, right? But, but, but yeah, yeah, you're right. That's exactly, I think how it works. Um, um, and, and I think there is like the, the reason that it works is that oftentimes the person giving this spin on reality um, or this narrative that's making meaning of the things that are happening to us, right? That's that's essentially what's happening is like, 
here's what this means. You know, we're running out of money, we're firing everybody. But what it means actually is that God's at work to multiply the organization. And so now we're going to have people all, it's, it's wonderful, isn't it? And that's, you know, sort of what's given to us. And the reason that a, like a bad message that's bad for us can be so believable to us is that the person giving it oftentimes they're, they're very charming they're full of charisma. They're often genuinely entertaining and likable people that you want to believe. You want to believe this person because they're so likable or entertaining or powerful or charming or full of charisma. And you want to believe that that's the story because it's a better story (laughs) than the one that says I'm getting fired and I feel stupid for coming here. And, and you know what I mean? Like there's, there's all kinds of reasons that it's easier for us to believe the spin um, in situations like this. Well, and specifically in religious contexts, right? When when we talk yes. about not Christy. just like a company, but like churches and ministries, and this person is not just like easy to listen to, but is this spiritual uh mentor or spiritual like leadership is coming through, it can really mess with somebody when the stories like their reality and my reality don't match up. Right. Yeah. Um, And so it makes it super difficult. Right. Because the implication is to disagree with this person is maybe to like leave the will of God. You know, yeah, like not obey God. Right. Yeah. If this, yeah. this person has, you know, more maturity than me, or maybe they are closer to God than me. You know, you maybe never would say that, but that's sort of the implication sometimes, I think. Right. So I think that's, that's, that's right, Christy. I think this kind of thing is especially prone to happen in religious spaces because we have this like figure of God looming in yep. the background that it's like, oh, it's, it's really important not to disagree with God or to disobey God or to move out of God's will. Um, but that's what it can feel like we're doing if we disagree with the leader or we don't believe them. Yeah. Right. Yeah, and, and a lot of leaders in a lot of Christian spaces are confident, charismatic people that you learn to trust, you you know? And mm-hmm. there is there is the benefit of the doubt is given over and over and over in religious spaces to people because we're taught that that's what Christian charity does, right? We're t- and, I, mm-hmm. and I think we do, we are to give each other the benefit of the doubt, but then people who misuse power use the benefit of the doubt to manipulate and exploit people, you yeah. know? And sometimes yeah. they don't know they're doing it. They just find it unnecessarily, uh, or um, you know, unfortunately necessary. Unfor- yeah. that, that, that's yeah. how they. That's how they operate. Mm-hmm. And so, um, yeah. So reality distortion. You know, I remember Ben, like you and I sitting in an office, and I, I would look. We would look at each other and, and say, "Is this happening? Did this really happen? Mm-hmm. Did this really get said?" Because I think um, during this time in this toxic culture. I was looking for any other story to be true other than this yeah. really is bad. Yeah. My brain kept wanting any other story to be true other than mm. this is awful. We're being lied to. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think that's one of the reasons that it's hard to leave um, is because you do have to reckon with the badness of the reality, yeah. you know, and um yeah, it can feel easier just to tell yourself a nicer story about it um, that sort of involves less cognitive dissonance. Um, mm. And, you know, th- there can also be a really powerful narrative, like especially if others others around you who are in the same position as you 
uh, agree with the story that's being told, agree with the reality distortion, if they're not ready to kind of face it yet and they they think it's great, you know, that we're multiplying or, or whatever the case may be, that that also makes it hard because you feel like, am I the crazy one? You know, like, am I just being yeah. a, a little whiny person? Like, you know, like there's all kinds of different stories that, that can come up for us. Especially when gaslighting is happening. Yeah. So, right. yeah. So what, maybe give a, um, I'm sorry to cut you off, Chrissy, but maybe give like a, maybe we've heard the word gaslighting, but we're not quite sure what it means. Can Can you give us yeah. a little bit of like, what is gaslighting? How do we know we're being gaslit? I, I honestly, you guys probably need to give the definition because I feel like when it happens to me, I'm like, wait a minute, wait a minute, what's going on? Like I can, I can tell something's going on, but I'm not sure that I know exactly like how to articulate for someone to know that it's happening other than you feel like it's your fault. You feel like you're responsible. You yeah. think that like, um, you better get in line because this is what's happening and yeah. you're doing it wrong. Yeah. Um, and so I don't I don't know how you articulate it, but what I what I'm saying with the whole reality being disordered, when you're being gaslit, then yeah. you do start to believe like I just need to stay because it's my fault. They're the ones that are like, mm-hmm. you know, doing the right thing. Yeah. And I just need to get in line. Yeah. Yeah. I think it, it is like it's like it's exactly what you're saying, Christy, where gaslighting uh this is from memory here, so this may not be absolutely technically correct, but it's, it's when someone with power over another person, some kind of power over them intentionally questions their experience. So if I say that, um, you know, if I say, Hey, you know, the words that you said to me in that last meeting were really hurtful to me, then gaslighting might sound like I never said that. Right. You know, or, um, you know, that, you know, that's, uh, you, you don't have any right to feel angry about that. You know, that, that kind of a thing. So it's a denial of my internal experience by someone who has some sort of power over me. And I, I have heard people say that the difference between just miscommunication and gaslighting does lie in the power dynamic present mm-hmm. um, and the intentionality. That gaslighting from a technical perspective is someone who is knows that they have power over me and to, to rewrite that narrative. And so sometimes it can, sometimes I think, uh, this is my personal opinion. I think gaslighting gets thrown around a little bit too much, a little bit too freely, just when there's maybe competing versions of the same reality or the same like story. Misunderstandings, yeah. yeah. Like misunderstandings or, you know, like, cause you know, maybe I, I wasn't aware that I said that, you know? And so I was like, Oh, I never said that. That's not necessarily gaslighting unless it's, I'm in power over you and I'm just, I'm just going to say that because that's more convenient for me to just tell you that I never said that. And so you, you shouldn't feel angry and you don't need to feel hurt. Do you Stop think that, that toxic leadership always knows that they're gaslighting? Cause you're saying right. it's intentional. And I would argue that like, I think that a lot of, a lot of toxic yeah. leadership are narcissists and right. they, they are not even aware yes. as to like what is going on or how they're gaslighting. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's good. I I think I can't remember the I read I read a therapist talk about this and I can't remember exactly what he said about it. But it does it does have to do with e- even if the narcissist or the or the the toxic leader is maybe wouldn't narrate what they're doing as gaslighting. I think when there's a power dynamic in place and when there's not any sort of um attempt to really reckon with 
genuine conflict or miscommunication. We'll talk about this maybe more in number five when we get there. But when there's no attempt to do that, essentially I'm just using words to, to like put you in your place and to get you into line. So that, that's been which my, ex- is, yeah, go ahead. Which is why words are so important, right? Our yeah. stories have to match up and right. that like, right. you know, for you, Matt, to hear people aren't getting fired, we're multiplying. They, they wanted that to be the story that not only they told, but then you told right. and you told somebody else, right? That's mm-hmm. it. Yeah. 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 And it was particularly harmful. And then we can move on here. It's particularly harmful because the, st- the external story didn't match my internal experience and I didn't feel seen. And, and one of the things that humans need to heal in a painful situation is to be attuned with. Yes. Yeah. Um, so, so one of, uh, so an ex- experience that I'll share here, it was when my mom died. I don't think I've shared this publicly. When my mom died, um, uh, I had to stand next to her casket and greet people for like two hours, one after the next, you know? And very quickly, it was like, I'm here for them, even though they think they're here for me. Like very quickly, I had to determine like, I can't entrust myself to these people because there's a level of pain I have that, and not everybody here can bear it. Not everybody here can see me. And it's actually... <clears throat> it's complicated when you're grieving because we so often don't know how to grieve with people. And I remember this one person who's a well-meaning person came up to me and they said, and they basically launched into a pep talk. You're going to be okay. You're, I know this is a surprise, but you're going to be just fine. You're strong. You can handle this. <clears throat> and I remember thinking inside, yep, this is why you're not trusting these people. But I also remember inside, like, I don't need that. Like, I just need you to cry. Like, I need you to mirror my grief, you know? And I think part of a, we we have all kinds of ways of creating, like, avoiding reality and distorting reality, but they end up not helping us, especially when we're going through trouble. Mm. Um, All right, so reality distortion is one. Number two, loyalty culture. Mm. A loyalty culture is where the, the people with the most power um, expect, demand, sycophants, <laughs> fans, right? Yeah. So, so the the way that you, the way that you demonstrate buy-in, and the way that you get proximity, the way that you get opportunity, the way that you get promoted, the way that you become favored is that you demonstrate loyalty to those with power. Yes. And now, a word from a sponsor. The Gravity Podcast is sponsored by the Gravity Formation Course, our 12-month cohort-based training in practical spiritual formation, where you'll learn how to notice how God is already at work in your life so you can participate more fully in the life that God shares with us. It is a discipleship process that goes beyond just gaining more knowledge and trying out some new practices. In the Gravity Formation course, we go below the surface of our lives so that we can notice and name our deepest desires in God's presence and to discern how God is at work in those desires to lead us toward holistic flourishing, more transformation, more life, more joy, more love. We've trained hundreds of people from all over the world in this formation framework, and it's helped many people to have a sense of God at work in their lives and learn to be more at home in God's love. 
If you'd like to learn more, go to gravitycommons.com slash formation. All right, let's get back into our conversation. It should be said too, because all of these are, are like slight distortions of good things, right? So yeah, loyalty, say more about that. Say more about that. Loyalty in and of itself, I mean, it's better than disloyalty. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. like it's like loyalty in and of itself can be a virtue. And so I think the part of part of what toxic cultures do is they take something, you know, good, um, and then they twist it uh, to make it ultimate. And so I think uh, what we're referring to here is loyalty culture. Like I, you know, I would hope, Matt, you and I are friends, Christy, Mm -hmm. we're friends. I would hope that I would be loyal to you, which that would mean certain things. You know, if, you know, if somebody, if somebody uh, calls me up and tells me uh, that Matt is uh, a, a super jerk and I can't believe, you know, how dumb Matt is, my loyalty to Matt would be like for me to defend Matt and say, what are you talking about? Like Matt's, Matt's wonderful. You don't know Matt. Like, why, do you, why are you saying this stuff about Matt? Matt's my friend. I love him. Um, he's not a jerk. You know, he, so I would defend Matt. That would, you know, loyalty. But I think in loyalty culture and in a toxic leadership culture, loyalty is elevated above every other virtue. Um, and so it cancels out accountability. It cancels out honesty. Um, it cancels out, you know, normative conflict. It cancels out any, like, if I disagree with the decisions that are being made, I can't say that because like the worst thing that I could be is disloyal. That's punished, that's expelled. You know, that's, that's what happens in this kind of culture. Which you see that a ton in denominations, mm. right? And don't, the people are just loyal to the denomination. They're not going to question, which yeah. part of loyalty is, you know, having leaders that are unquestioned. You can't question them. Mm-hmm. You can't ask for, you know, Hey, this doesn't seem right. Um, and some of that has to do with leadership. Some of that has to do with just ways that different denominations are set up yeah. um, that can be damaging. Yeah. I mean, and it goes even, you know, I, um, I know you're not saying this, Christy, but like even churches that are independent sometimes, yeah. I mean, that, you know, it just depends on where that, you know, who's right. the unquestioned leader. Well, it could right. just be a solo pastor of an independent church. That's right. You know, that, mm-hmm. that could be the unquestioned uh, leader. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Another another part of this is that the people lowest on the totem pole are treated the worst. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, you kind of work your way up and every level, every rung of the level, like the the level up bonus is that you get to treat the people under you now the way you were treated, mm. right? So interns, you know, eat crap. You know, they just yeah. do all the grunt work and they're, yeah. they get, they they don't get any say so. They have to do the menial tasks. They're underappreciated. They're underpaid. But then yeah. maybe you get a part time gig. And then right, right. the only bonus of that is that you get to treat the interns like you were treated. You know? Yeah, yeah, I think yeah. that's part of a loyalty culture because what yeah. it does is it justifies sub Christian treatment of brothers and sisters based upon a hierarchy of value and importance. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And I, and I think I almost especially, it's almost intentionally cruel, right? It's not that it just happens to be that way, but it's almost like the test of your loyalty is I'm actually going to treat you like like crap. I'm going to create harsh conditions. We're going to do some hazing here. We're going to like, we're going to intentionally mistreat you. And the test is, are you going to stick up for yourself? Are you going to have your own integrity or are you going to be loyal to the organization. 
And yeah. the proof of that is if you will endure this mistreatment uh, without complaint. Yeah. yeah. This is part of hazing kind of rituals and fraternities and sororities. Yeah. yeah. These, yeah. these kinds of, um, it's, it's the way that you build loyalty to an institution above your own good. Right. Yes. Yes. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Do we need to? Do we need to like just take a, a breath? Take a take a breather, uh, listeners. Yeah. You might want to just Shake pause. You know, Here get out go. of the car. Maybe do a little, a couple laps, jumping jacks. <laughs> All right. <clears throat> a couple deep breaths. Number three. Yeah. Number three. Yeah. Unable Number three. to have a kairos. Instead of me naming what this is, Christy, do you want to? What what is what does it mean? when someone's unable to have a Kairos? Yeah. I mean, well, first of all, when we talk about Kairos, it's, you know, just in case our listeners are not aware, it's this moment where, where God is breaking in and opening up our eyes and teaching us and, and working in and through us. Um, And, and being unable to do that is kind of having these leaders who are unable to separate their own reactions and their own perceptions from Mm -hmm. reality. You know, there's, there's projection. There's, you know, um, and and I think yeah, I'm glad you put this on here because I'm not sure I would have necessarily added mm-hmm. this to the list, but I believe that this is actually true in toxic leadership. Yeah. Yeah. It's language we use at Gravity as part of our training. Um, and one of the ways that I've started to talk about it that it seems to connect with people is that a Kairos is an is an inner noticing. It's a noticing of something that's happening in my perception, in my feelings, in my, in my thought life. It's being able to step one step back and go, this is what I'm thinking right now, or this is what I'm, how I'm reacting right now. And to just have a little bit of curiosity about that rather than just believe it. You know, it's, you know, Matt, Matt and I were at a retreat, uh, teaching at a retreat recently. We were talking with a group of people about this yep. and somebody, somebody put it this way. I thought it was an interesting way to put it, um, that he said, it's the ability to have a, the second thought. Like we, we always have a first thought. So we always just immediately react to the things that are happening around us, but the ability to have a second thought and go, well, maybe that first thought isn't right. Or maybe that first thought, maybe the way I'm perceiving this isn't exactly correct. Or maybe the, maybe how I feel about this doesn't have to do with this situation, but maybe it has to do with a past situation that I'm still carrying around some baggage about. Like that activity is absent in toxic mm-hmm. leadership cultures. The leader, the person making the, the, calling the shots is unable to have that moment. They're, they are reacting as if their immediate perceptions are just true about the situation out there. Yeah. And would you say that they're also unable to give grace for you to have that moment? <laughs> well, they, would you say yeah, that, Christy? <laughs> <laughs> I guess I would. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah. I, I think when there isn't the re, there isn't an appreciation for bringing our reactivity, our triggerings, into the graciousness of Christ. There isn't, if you practice that personally, increasingly you'll become the kind of person whose ego isn't reactive when other people do that. Right. And then you'll be able to care for somebody on their worst day rather than taking it personally and treating them as a threat or an enemy. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. 
So yes, I think it's I think it's in, intricately linked. If you can't do this yourself, you'll interpret everybody else's uh, worst day as a threat, rather than as I mean I, I need to move towards this person with compassion or gentleness because they're yeah. really going through a rough one right now. Yeah, right. Yeah, they'll. Yeah, you're only able to perceive, again, somebody else on their worst day. Maybe they're reacting, you know, with anger to some decision that you've made. So me as a leader, if I'm unable to interpret them as like, okay, they're just locked in their first thought here, um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to react just based on, does that comport with my first thought? And if not, I'm going to bring all the energy and, and resources I can to to bear upon this person to like change them so that they come into compliance with the way I see things or get rid of them because they're not cooperating with the program. Yes. Yeah. Hmm. So that's what we mean by unable to have a Kairos. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, yeah. Which also means I just want to point out something else too, which also means that they're unable to learn. Mm, yeah. Like, they're able to increase knowledge in areas where they already feel competent, mm-hmm. but they're unable to change. You can't repent. You, you, there's like being converted is one of the gifts of the Christian life. Yeah. I, and I don't mean just being received into the kingdom. I mean going from, from not extending grace to the Gentiles to extending grace to the Gentiles. And like you could point to several times in Peter's life where he didn't just learn something, but had a massive conversion after he encountered Jesus, right? Mm-hmm. And and if you if you can't have a kairos, then you then you are unable to be converted, and you're stuck in your current level of sanctification or maturation, mm-hmm. uh, you know. But if you're able to have a kairos, then you realize that being wrong isn't the end of the world. Right, because then failure or being wrong is just an opportunity to learn. It is. And right. grow. It is. Right. right. Yeah. There's in, no threat. In the, in the, right. Right. There's no threat. Yeah. All right. Yeah. All right. I'll, I'll just say, Christy, you mentioned this earlier. Um, I think um, maybe just one more thing on this. This this also manifests in projection. You mentioned that earlier, Christy. Mm. Um, and I, I think I've, I've seen that happen where, and what we mean by projection is like, for, if I'm projecting my own deep, feelings and desires um, that I, you know, maybe in some part of me deems negative or bad, I can't face, I can't face the fact that they're in me. And so I find them in other people and I project them onto other people. And so for example, if you do disagree with me and you are going to leave my organization, well then like the only way I have to make sense of that, if I'm stuck in not being able to have a Kairos, the only way I can make sense of that is for example, well, you are just filled with pride and you are ambitious for your own platform. And so that's why you're leaving. When actually like both of those things are just true of me. I'm prideful mm-hmm. and I'm threatened. And so I need my own platform. And so if you're leaving, that must be why you're leaving. And so that, that's also, I think, something that happens when we're unable to have a Kairos. Creates yeah. a toxic leadership culture. Yeah. Well, and even in this conversation, there's part of me as I look at these five like if I'm just confessing and being honest, 
I've, I've been a part of all of these myself as a toxic leader. I've seen yes. pieces of this in the way that I've acted and reacted to people. And this yeah. one, this one is a, is hard because I, I can remember conversations that I had as a leader mm-hmm. at me being the leader mm-hmm. doing it wrong and, and projecting on the other person. And, um, yeah. and now, now seeing it more clearly and realizing Ooh, that was that was unhealth in me. Yeah. That was that was wrong in me. Yeah. Yep. So. Yep. That's yeah. That's really good, Christy. It is good. So, like, I, I want to just underline that, Christy. So, what you're saying is, it's the goal isn't to never do any of these things as a leader. No, you're gonna. You're going to. Yes. The, the goal is to have a culture that hasn't made these things unassailable. Right. Yeah. That there's and some, to repent, yes. to say, I am so sorry yes. that I did this. I was wrong. <laughs> to practice saying, I was wrong. That's a big deal. Yeah. And please forgive me. And, you know, what does it look like to move forward in health and wholeness? And Yes. Good. Yeah. yeah. I think, I think too, just one more thing before we move on to the last two. Um, this is what I'm, uh, in piggybacking off what you said, Christy, um, I think one of the hardest things for me to face when I realized I was I was like embedded in a toxic leadership culture. And I think it was a question that Chuck DeGroat asked, um, maybe in one of our interviews with him, or maybe it was in one of his books. I can't remember. But um, hmm. like even, even being part of like a toxic leadership culture, uh, I think initially you're like, oh, that's so terrible what they did. But then the question that was really um, convicting for me is, what is it about this culture that was attractive to me? Right. You know, like there, there's a reason I was attracted to this and there's a reason that this seemed good to me at one point before I could see the full toxicity of it. Um, and that, that was, I don't know, that was the question that sort of <laughs> humbled me um, mm. in the actual humbling way. Like sometimes people say they're humbled when they get invited to speak at a big event. And I, mm-hmm. I like to say that's, no, that's, that's being honored. That's not being humbled. <laughs> Being humbled is the same as being humiliated. So, <laughs> and it's okay. Right. You can be honored. Go ahead, be honored. Um, but just you know, don't confuse that with being humbled. Being humbled is uh, not a great feeling. So, yeah. Okay. So just to recap okay. here, we've got reality distortion. One, two, loyalty mm-hmm. culture. Three, unable to have a kairos. Four. Now, is that power and authority? flow up and in in ever increasingly more consolidated ways instead of flowing down and out in ever more distributed ways. Hmm. What's uh, say more about that, Matt? What do you, what, what, when you say that, I'm just imagining our listeners are like, well, mm-hmm. what does that mean? What does that look like? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So this, this means that, um, well, sometimes we call this a celebrity culture, right? Where the, the, the organization or the environment orbits around one person or several people's personalities and charisma. And, and so what that means is that they are, they're con- the focus is on them, what they want, what they need, uh, what they like, what they think. And increasingly, the people around that person orbit around that person, so that ultimately there may be many people doing work, mm-hmm. but only one person has the authority. Yeah. 
And right, kind of like a funnel. Yeah, and right. you you can't really have any meaningful disagreement mm-hmm. with that one person. Yes. Yeah. Maybe another way to say this, um, I've heard this uh, way of describing this kind of dynamic is that there's an Im- there's a mismatch between authority and responsibility. That the the person with the authority, um, there's one person with a lot of authority and a lot of people with a lot of responsibility, but no authority. And so you're you end up being responsible for things that you don't actually have say so over, um, which tends to be dehumanizing and degrading, actually. Um, unless there's a, a, a balance of you have as much authority as you have res- responsibility. Right. And in some ways, these people then are used, yeah. right? Rather than being empowered right. to use their the ways that they're wired and gifted and think and mm-hmm. the wisdom that they have to bring to the table. They're not able to do that because they're just bringing what they're told to do. Yeah. Which I mean, there's there's a there's a whole podcast series that we could do on this, but that that's a legacy of colonialism, capitalism, like <laughs> you know, yes. mammon worship, like that using like treating people as if they are expendable commodities, yeah. treating their energy, their their intelligence, you know, whatever they bring to the table, it's using them as tools. And I I, I heard a story one time from um, a friend of mine who worked for a pastor that literally said that to him. He said, you guys, it was a, it was a moment where he was trying to like bring people into line. And he said, you guys are just tools in my toolbox. And if you won't do the job that I'm asking you to do, I'm just going to find another tool that'll do the job. That's like an extreme example of it, but toxic leadership cultures of all kinds have this dynamic going on, even if it's not stated that, uh, bluntly all the time. Yep. Yeah. I mean, I think this is part of how mammon works, right? Mm-hmm. And people become commodities to extract resources from. Um, yep. And it's how our economy works, how our political economy works, but it is not the kingdom of God, yeah. right? And so um, even though we live in a world where the the people at the top who have the most resources uh, use those resources to exponentially multiply their resources that that is not the that's not the logic of the kingdom um you know that's not the way we're supposed to not so among us so yeah um i i'll say one more thing about this too um this can happen accidentally with with leaders that have the best of intentions can um you know unintentionally set up these kinds of dynamics. So this goes back to what we said before. This, these things can, uh, in a toxic leadership culture, these things are endemic and unquestioned and the, the, root, the law of the land. Um, but these kinds of dynamics can happen to any of us. And I'm just thinking about um, uh, something in our church, Matt. So Matt and I planted a church like seven and a half years ago. And, you know, when you're first planting a church, like, like the pastors, the people who are planting, like two families sort of did everything. Mm-hmm. And decided everything uh, because those are the people who were having, you know, we were taking responsibility for cultivating this thing. But as we grew, there, there were several points at which we realized that our decision-making processes were very murky. You know, people were like, well, how is this decided? 
you know, and for Matt and I, it just felt like, well, I don't like, I don't know. We just talk about stuff and decide, you know, <laughs> but it became clear that it was like, oh, for us to have an actual healthy culture of power around here, we need to one, um, get really clear and write some things down so that it is very obvious how decisions are made in various aspects of our church's life. And, and we had to create some of those systems and empower people other than Matt and I and our other co-pastor to decide things and do things. And, and that had to be, um, that had to be made manifest and like obvious um, and we had to empower people to, to do that. So Matt and I didn't intend, like, we're not trying to set up a, you know, a, a, a bad toxic leadership culture, but I think if we didn't do anything about those questions that people had for us, we could have inadvertently set up a system where Matt and I just make decisions on behalf of mm-hmm. everybody because mm-hmm. we just are used to doing that. And we, we didn't think anything else was needed. Well, and you see this. I'm not saying you're immature, but I think this is a sign of immaturity when people just kind of like, this is what I'm, this is what we're doing. And they don't mean to like, just have it be your way or the highway. It's just this, they're just the leader. Um, But what I hear you saying is part of growing in this is you have to be intentional. It takes a lot of intentionality to not just flow up and in, but to actually go down and out. Yeah. Yeah, All of our habits and instincts and logic are formed in a way of organizing humans that will mm-hmm. that will extract and consolidate unless we intentionally organize otherwise. This right. is one of the most misunderstood things about leadership and about how we organize cultures. So we will by default uh, operate in, out of the formation that we've received from our political economy. We just yeah. will. Yeah. yeah. Because we do that all the time in so many other ways, and I guess what what I'm what I'm naming here is that um, if if we do that uncritically uh, in a church, it, 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 the rate of harm and abuse is much higher, much yeah. higher, right? It's just much higher because of the intimacies and vulnerabilities that we're dealing with in a church versus say. Um, me working um, on a assembly line, assembling a tennis shoe. Right. Right? Okay. Well, last one now. Um, in in uh, another sign, the fifth sign of a toxic leadership culture is that uh, conflict is mishandled. Mm. Again, endemically. Not just occasionally. <laughs> Not just occasionally. <laughs> right. Conflict Conflict is will be mishandled occasionally in every culture. But in a toxic leadership culture, it is always mishandled. We'll be right back. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun... Yeah, you get it every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Let's get back to the show. There's two ways to get, uh, two, two big buckets that maybe we could chat about, about getting conflict wrong. The first is that 
um, all conflict is bypassed or um, swept under the rug, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So we, re- we refuse to engage in conflict at all. And usually what happens is the person with less power or less proximity becomes the scapegoat, mm-hmm. right? And they get put under church discipline or they get sidelined or they get fired or they get put on sabbatical, <laughs> right? <laughs> because so, – so there isn't a, hey, let's work this out or mm. we disagree. What do you think that means? Right. But, but it's immediately – there's like immediately jump to eliminating the problem, which is you disagree with me. Right. Right. Yeah. And that's one way that gets mismanaged. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll name the other way, and then maybe we can chat about with them. The other way is that um, any kind of disagreement or conflict is immediately escalated to, and, and, and we use the language of abuse. Right. right. I'm being slandered. You know, those kinds of phrases. Yeah. yeah. So I, I was just in, I was just interacting with um, some people online. Uh, and there was a, a missionary um, uh, in Asia who was using an Asian name online, a name that sounds like it was from China, and writing without a profile picture. Without a profile picture, and then um, an, an an Asian woman found out that this person is actually a white man who's lived in in China for a long time, and she just said, "Hey, that's yellow face. Like you are purporting to be an Asian." person, but you're actually a white person, and it, there's a digital yellow face using a s- similar language to blackface, right? And she basically was just saying, uh, knock it off. Um, and this this guy uh, could not handle that conflict. He went right to, the mob is coming to cancel me, and I'm being attacked, <laughs> Right, and, and that's an example. He did use slander as well. He yeah. did, and that's an example of um, this is a white people problem. I, I'll just own, I'll just say this. Uh, maybe mm-hmm. um, this is a white people problem. We don't deal with conflict well, and so we don't know how to handle when people challenge us or directly confront us. We either avoid it and eliminate it, or we play the victim. Yeah, right. It's kind of all or nothing. Instead right. of actually owning anything that you should be responsible yeah. for, both parties and both parties, yeah. and it's it's worth saying this too. Even if there's a legitimate disagreement about whether or not I should be able to use an Asian surname as a white man, right? So even if I have that disagreement, the that's different, right? It's not like uh, he has to agree with her, right? It's, that's not what we're saying. But mm-hmm. a way to what, what he's doing, instead of saying, hey, I disagree with your assessment. I don't think this is yellow face for these reasons. Um, I've lived in China for a long time. I'm just, you know, creating maybe some, maybe there's some justification for it. And for him to just respond as if they're in conflict. Uh, like that's different from what the way that he responded, which was yeah. to act as if he were being abused. When yes. in fact, no, this is just conflict. Conflict is normal. And I think that's what you're, that's what you're saying, Matt, that it is endemic in these uh, toxic cultures, but also, you know, it is a white, a white people problem that we, 
we don't know how to tell the difference between normative conflict where people yes. have uh, opposing views on things or um, you know disagreements about what should be done in certain situations. And so we, we end up treating every disagreement as if it were abuse. And then ironically, we end up abusing. <laughs> we, we end up abusing in the name of uh, protecting ourselves from abuse. Um, so anyway, it's, it, it's everywhere. It's really, really, uh, difficult uh, yeah. to see. So, yeah. I mean, we went through a, a fairly, um, we had a lot of conflict in our church in 2022 because we ended up leaving our denomination. Mm-hmm. And as we shared about this idea of leaving our denomination, some people had very, very strong reactions against us leaving. Yeah. Right. Right. And it created conflict inside of those relationships. And one of the things I noticed was that um, it, the the idea of leaving our denomination triggered some people's trauma in a way that I did not anticipate. Like their mm-hmm. trauma came online for them. And in something just, this is part of, we've talked before about having trauma-informed ministry. Yeah. Um, like, they experience that conflict as harm mm-hmm. because of their trauma. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and I don't I don't know what to do about that. Like as a yeah. leader, like when yeah. somebody's trauma comes online and they experience your disagreement as a re-triggering of tra- as a triggering of trauma that they've experienced in a similar area and so they experience yeah. your disagreement as harm. Yeah. Like w- w- you can tell by the way I'm trying to explain what's happening that we're sort of beyond the boundaries of like where we feel competent and confident yeah. of how to walk faithfully, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Like I think I could have cared for those people better. Yeah. Uh, but I also know that we could not have avoided this discernment and this decision to spare them that triggering. Yeah. And so I, you know, I, I think, I, I guess I'm including us in this that, there's still conflict ways of handling conflict that we still have to learn how to do well. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. That's right. I think especially as like you're saying, Matt, in in that situation in our church, um, we were the people with power because, you know, we got to say, this is, we're going to have this conversation, you know? Um, And they didn't get to choose to say, you know what, let's not even have the conversation because they didn't have the authority to do that. So, I think that that's the thing that feels like the sort of the bleeding edge of learning for me was, man, because I like part of me felt like, man, I can I think I can see what's happening here and I want to invite you into like processing that or like, but I couldn't do that because that would have been, you know what I mean? Like, because you're already experiencing this as harm for me to invite you closer to me, <laughs> like that as actually like you might experience that as compounding your harm you know, um, and, and inviting you into a situation where you might feel manipulated or, or something like that. So it's very, very hard to know what it looks like to lead faithfully and to care for people in that situation. It's very difficult. So. You guys, maybe it's like the, I don't know, rainbows and unicorns part of me, hmm. but I love that part I am, of you. I do love that too, Christy. <laughs> I need more of that. I am curious, like, <laughs> For me, for you, for our listener, like as you hear all of these things, maybe maybe our listeners are like, oh, dang, I'm like in a situation like this um, and I'm, I this is unhealthy. 
um, what what do you suggest? What what are just a few steps to kind of bring some hope? It doesn't have to be like this always. Like mm. you you don't have to stay there. What are some steps that you would maybe just quickly give to them as little little hope nuggets? Mm-hmm. That's good. Rainbows and unicorns. Here we go. Mm. <laughs> yeah, I think I I think what I needed when I was in a a toxic leadership environment was just someone to reflect back to me that I wasn't crazy. Yes. Um, when I could start, when I could stop gaslighting myself and start just acknowledging, okay, what I'm experiencing is bad. That's why this feels bad. Mm-hmm. And, and then permit myself to move away from it. <clears throat> That's so those two things just, you know, um, maybe you're listening and you haven't given yourself permission to, to admit that this really is bad. Yeah. And, and if, if this podcast could give just one person permission to admit that, then it's worth, it's worth it, you know? And then, mm. and then the second thing I'd say is I know we've been conditioned and told that you can't leave your church, you know? And I just want to—I just want to say that sometimes leaving your church is the most Christian thing you can do. Yeah. Sometimes moving away from harm, even if you have nowhere to go, um, sometimes that is the most faithful thing to do. And I don't think we say that to each other enough because we're, you know, we're scared of like, you know, what what it could sound like or what it could mean. Anything you'd add, Ben? Yeah, I think I would add, that's really good, Matt. Um, And I think I would add that moving away from harm, like you're not going to lose God. You're not going to lose Jesus if you have to move away from a church that you've always been part of or you've been part of for many years or move away from friendships or loyalties that you've had for for years. You will not lose, you know... (laughs) the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, Jesus has ascended to the right hand of the Father and the Spirit has been unleashed upon the world and Jesus is the the light that gives life to all people. And so you're not going to lose Jesus. You're not going to lose God. Um, and God will meet you in the midst of you reckoning with the reality of your situation. Um, and, and God will meet you there with gentleness and with, with grace. I would add, who is like a hundred percent friend to you? Mm-hmm. Have somebody that you can talk to honestly, not rant, not like gossip. I, I mean, like, just like, this is so hard because my guess is you saying that, Ben, even there are some listeners who are like, I feel like if I left, I would be losing God. Yeah. And so to have somebody that can look you in the eye and say, you're not crazy you're seen, you're loved, like I'm with you in this. Um, what do you tell me more? To, mm-hmm. I want to know all the things that you're feeling and thinking. Yeah. Um, and to have a friend like that, I think is, can be life-changing. And then, uh, you know, we just did the, the mental health uh, series, but I, I would say seek out a professional counselor. This is something that that yeah. people can help you work through. I needed that. I, you know, it, it, Outside of Jesus, therapy is right there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. And I, I just, I needed a therapist to help me work through some stuff. Yeah. And so I think it's good and help, healthy and helpful. 
Yeah, that's good, Christy. I would just add, I've talked with several people who have found it very helpful, like to find, I mean, I, I don't, I know finding a good therapist can sometimes be hard to come by. So I hope I'm not making it harder, but, um, they're like therapists who are trauma informed, obviously, but also sometimes therapists who are Christians or who understand the church can be really helpful because I have heard from some Christians who are, you know, contemplating leaving their church and they, they talk with a, with a therapist who doesn't have any experience in this world that just doesn't get why it's so hard. They're like, well, just stop going to church. Like, what's the big deal? You know? <laughs> and it's like, oh no, you don't get, you don't get what church means, you know? And so that, that can be really helpful to find somebody um, like that who, who gets religious trauma, spiritual abuse. Um, Cause it's a, it's a unique thing. Um, yeah. and, I, and I would say to uh, Christy, just to add to what you said, like you, you mentioned, like finding a friend, somebody that you can sort of vent with. Um, and I would, I would say to like, don't worry about whether you're crossing a line into gossip or, or, you know, ranting. Mm-hmm. I feel like I needed that. I needed the permission to sort of say, you know what? The worst thing isn't that I would accidentally cross some line into, into ranting or gossiping. Um, because I don't know where that line is. You know what I mean? And, and having a community that could sort of just bear that with me, if I did cross the line or if I, you know, a community that's just like, well, yeah, I get why he's so mad right now. <laughs> that was really helpful, you know, for me, um, especially uh, the way that I'm wired up, which is to like, kind of like you, Christy, like, I want to be a good boy. You know, I don't want to, I don't want to do a bad thing. And so having a community that was like, yeah, you can, you can be a little bit bad around us. That's okay. That was helpful yeah. for me to be yeah. able to say the things I needed to say. Well, our hope in this is that, you know, if you're going through this, that you can notice that this is happening, mm-hmm. that you can name it, and then that you can navigate through it. Um, and so if that's you, hopefully this gives you a little, I don't know, like courage, yeah, hope. encouragement, gumption, hope, yeah, yeah. yeah. Gumption. gumption, yes, <laughs> gumption. Yeah. yeah, all right, well, five signs of a toxic leadership culture, reality distortion, loyalty. Unable to have a kairos, the power flows up and ends, consolidated, and mm-hmm. uh, no idea how to deal with conflict. Um, yeah. If if you have uh, thoughts about this, maybe you have another sign that's related to these or different. Um, feel free to reach out, or if you want to just share your story with us, mm-hmm. I know sometimes um, I hear increasingly from listeners that we are one of the only spaces, Christian spaces that seems to tell the truth about what you've experienced. So even if you want to email us and let us know kind of how you've experienced this stuff, you can reach us at podcast at gravityleadership.com. Ben and I both get that. And uh, we all often forward those on to Christy as well. Yeah. Uh, Or you can leave us a message, a voice message. Those are fun to get to gravityleadership.com slash message. So, mm-hmm. Or you can come free. to Colorado Springs. And <laughs> yeah, you can also do that. Coffee. Christy will buy you coffee. <laughs> I mean, right, fair to say, if you come to Indianapolis, Matt and I would buy you coffee too. There you go. But there you go. If you're going to go on a vacation, a little road trip, I would probably recommend Colorado Springs over Indianapolis. Hey, Colorado. I, have, <laughs> I, hate, I hate to say it. So. <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, all right, listener, we'll see you uh, next week. Peace, y'all. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Gravity Leadership Podcast. 
If you're finding it helpful or enjoyable, we'd love it if you'd tell your friends about it. Ratings and reviews online also help others find the podcast. And don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. And you can join our Gravity community online for free at gravityleadership.com slash join. You'll get our latest content delivered straight to your inbox, as well as our email most Fridays with curated links to articles we find interesting and helpful. To join us, go to gravityleadership.com slash join. Our podcast is produced by Ben Sternke and Matt Tebby. Aaron Sternke edits and mixes the show. You can check out his work at aaronsternke.com. We'd love to hear from you. To record a question or comment for us, go to gravityleadership.com slash message and click the start recording button. You can also email us at podcast at gravityleadership.com. Catch you next time.